Hey everyone, my name is Matt Boyd and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this sermon both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. Enjoy this sermon. everybody. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here with us on a very cold night, but we do have warm coffee and some pastries, so feel free to get up and get more coffee if you need it. Hope that you've all had a great week and enjoyed the snowy days of Portland, even though we're told we don't get many snowy days. I think there was three or four days this week. Now, most of you know that Andre and I had the privilege to be in Las Vegas this week with two or 300 church planners that are part of our larger uh, network, and so we were... Um, privilege to miss the snow days and to enjoy some warmth and some some sunshine and brought that sunshine back with us so you guys can thank us for that later. And I know you don't normally think of church planners going to Las Vegas to to get equipped, uh, but we were outside the city thankfully and we're able to get some great breakout sessions, encouragement from those who are doing very similar things in, on West Coast cities and also soak in a lot of that sunshine. Two weeks ago we started a new series in the book of Ephesians called United in Christ and the reason that we chose this name is we see this theme throughout the book of God through Christ uniting all things to himself, both things in heaven and things on earth. And I think we'd all agree that seeing things united would be a welcome change instead of seeing things so divided. As we continue to look around and we continue to turn on the news and scroll through social media, it seems like things are just getting fractured more and more and things are divided in, in, our, in our nation and in our city and all over our world. And so to see things united would be a nice change. And this is what we see God through Christ doing in the book of Ephesians. Last week we covered three th verses 3 through 14, which were one long sentence in Greek. And Paul hit us with three key areas of us being chosen by God the Father, adopted by God the Son, and sealed by God the Holy Spirit. Now those are three huge areas, and we covered a few major doctrines that are often controversial and difficult for people to understand because we are called to be in awe and wonder of our God rather than to try and understand every nuance of the doctrine of Scripture. If you remember from last week, or for those of you that, that weren't here last week, we talked about how our subject matter really is God. And so, of course, we can only understand to a certain degree. And even that understanding comes from God. And so if you say, I'm still really not sure and fuzzy, well, ask God to reveal more to you. And then also recognize there's some things that we may just never understand this side of heaven. And to be honest, I really wasn't sure who else would show up this week because after you preach on election and predestination, you're not really sure if the next week you're going to show up and anyone shows up. So those of you, thank you for being here. I guess this means that it was predestined to happen that you were elected to be here tonight. Okay, that's kind of a, a preacher's joke. The verses from last week were very challenging. And even for Paul, as I look at those verses, how is he going to follow up? from these verses. How's he going to follow up from talking about this idea of being chosen, elected, and predestined? What is Paul going to hit us with now? And Paul does an amazing job as he's going to conclude this chapter for us tonight with a magnificent prayer for the Ephesian Christians. Whereas our set of verses last week were primarily about us being in praise and, and in wonder of the fact that God would choose, adopt, 
and seal any of us. Remember, we're dealing with, with who? Sinners. So that includes all of us. So we should be in awe and wonder. That's what last week was about, that God would choose any of us. Tonight, the verses are going to be primarily about prayer and thanksgiving. More, more specifically, a prayer that, we can, that they can grasp the praise of the set of verses from last week. So go ahead, if you have your Bibles, or if you don't, there's blue ones in the back. And we will be in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 23 tonight. How many of you are the type of people that have vivid dreams? Some of us don't, don't have those at all. Other people, you talk to them, and it's like, man, I have these dreams all of the time where I wake up, and I'm not sure if like the event that I was dreaming about actually happened. If, you, if you've ever had one of these, you wake up, and if it's like a nap in the middle of the day, you start recalling, what did I do before I fell asleep? Did that actually take place? Did that happen? Now, if it's somewhere, if you're in another country and you wake up in your bed, you realize, okay, that, that was just a dream that didn't happen. But if it's something that, man, I was out with those friends and we had this conversation, it just felt so real. Or if it's in the morning and you're kind of fuzzy, sometimes it can take you 30 minutes to an hour to figure out, did that actually happen? And if it's a really good dream, you actually you hope that it, it was real. Man, that was, that was awesome that we got to do that. But if it's a bad dream, you're so glad that you woke up. And, and you, so in my case, I'll go to my spouse and say, did that, did that actually happen? Like, what did we do yesterday? Am I losing my mind here? That is basically what is going on in this set of verses that we're looking at tonight. If you remember from last week, Paul wants us to be in awe and majesty of God. And in many ways, it's unbelievable that God would choose any of us. And so in this next set of verses that we're seeing tonight, Paul is coming to them with uh, some verses on thanksgiving and prayer so that we might see the grace of God in our lives. And so, so it's almost as if the, the verses, set of verses from last week is that dream. And, and now it's transitioning. Did that, did that really happen? Hoping they can embrace the grace that God has shown the Ephesian Christians. So let me go ahead and read this set of verses for us, starting in verse 15. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me pray as we get started in the passage tonight. God, we, we just want to stop for a moment and just focus our eyes and our hearts on you. We know that last week we looked at a set of verses that has some very difficult doctrines to understand. And God, it's similar tonight as we transition into a, a prayer and, and thanksgiving from Paul to the Ephesian Christians, we ask that you would speak to us, that your spirit would move throughout this room. And God, that we would be in awe and wonder of just who you are and what it is that you are showing us in this first chapter of the book of Ephesians. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So we see Paul start this chapter by saying, look, look back at verse 15. He says, For this reason, 
because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so Paul starts out by giving thanks for the Ephesians because of what he's hearing about the Ephesian believers, which is namely their faith and their love, pointing back to the set of verses from last week, verses 3 through 14. And this is the reason he's giving thanks. So he specifically saying, I'm thankful for two things. I'm thankful for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for your love toward all the saints. We talked, we talked at length about the surrounding culture the last couple of weeks, what, what Ephesus was known for, what Ephesus looked like. And so Paul is saying that I'm thankful that in the midst of that culture that you have continued to have faith, that you've stayed steadfast in your faith. And what he's, what he's seeing and what he's reflecting on is that the Ephesian Christians have really separated themselves from the culture that is around them. So even though they're steeped in the culture and they're surrounded by all this paganism and idolatry, they are being set apart and they've separated themselves because of the grace of God in their lives. And so he's saying, I am thankful for you that you have remained faithful in the midst of a very difficult culture. I think about when sharing gospel with, with the Hindus in India. It was very easy to get a Hindu to say, Jesus sounds great, I would love to accept Jesus, until you realize that I mean I want to accept Jesus along with five other gods, which is what we call syncretism. So then you have to process and, and work through to say, no, there's only one God, and that is the God of the Bible. That is not what is happening here. The Ephesians aren't saying, man, we're staying faithful to Jesus and then, and then enjoying all these other, other gods that, that are found in Ephesus. They're remaining true to the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone in the midst of this very hostile and pagan culture. I know I've done a fair amount of comparison between Ephesus and Portland in our series so far, but how many of you guys have ever been to Las Vegas? Can I see you raise a hand who's been to Las Vegas? My goodness, as I'm walking the streets of Vegas this week, because we did walk the strip, we stayed for a couple of extra days and walked through all the casinos, and I may have played one slot machine, but didn't use any of my money. I can tell you that story later. As we're walking through, it just hit me uh, like Thursday afternoon. I said, man, this is Ephesus right here. Sin City, you've got all of the of, of the sins that we read about, they're just celebrated there. And it's like, this is the place that you go to embrace those things, to enjoy those things, and, and you, can, you, you have these hopes of, of winning money or, or hopes of, of, of finding someone in this place. And so I realized the, the Ephesus, although there is a lot of similarities with Portland, I really think there's a lot of similarities that we found in uh, Las Vegas. And so it's this type of environment that Paul is continuing to pray for and encourage these believers. That's really what he's doing here. He says, I recognize you're in a very difficult place. I recognize you're in a very difficult culture, but I want to encourage you. I'm praying for you. And, and I want to let you know that I am proud of you for remaining faithful to the call of God in your life. And Paul's also been away from Ephesus for quite some time at this point. So he's also writing this letter to say, I don't know all of you, but I still want to encourage you in what you are doing. So this, was, this is like me writing a letter back to the churches that we helped plant in India and saying, I don't know all of you now because these churches have continued to grow and continue to reach people. This is great. But, but I was there in the early days and, and helped you guys get started. And so I just want to encourage you. That I know you're in a difficult place. I know it's very hard. I know there's other I, idols and, and false gods all around you. But let me encourage you in what you are doing and, and that you have remained faithful to what God has called you to do. And Paul points out the love these Christians have towards all the saints. We looked at, at, at saints, I think it was the first week. Who are saints again? Those of us in Christ. So if you consider yourself a Christ fallen room, then you are a saint. Remember, this isn't the Catholic version of saint, but that Christ calls us, or God calls us saints because of Jesus in our lives. So Paul is saying, continue to operate out of faith in Jesus and as in love for one another. Although we're a small church, I believe we're starting to see this love towards all the saints in, internal within sojourn. 
And I'm seeing it amongst our group that God is forming and bonding together. And I can say that I love each and every one of you. I know I only know some of you a little bit and some of you have known a little bit longer, but God is bringing this love in my life for you and for, for those who have started interacting with Sojourn. That's why it pains me sometimes because I start loving people. And I'm like, wait a minute, are they part of us? Are they not? And I haven't seen them in a few weeks. So what, what happened? Do, do I need to go visit them? Because God is, is, when people come and join in with us, there's this love I'm seeing towards the saints. And what I want to encourage us as a church is that we'd be intentional with new people coming into Sojourn. Whether that be on Thursday nights, whether that be on Sunday nights, or whether that's some other time throughout the week. And I'm not saying that I'm not seeing these things happen, but I want us to be, always be mindful that as people start coming in, and Lord willing, as we start to grow, that we do some of these things. And so let me give us a few suggestions. First is just be hospitable, whether it's at a gathering or a gospel community. I know that sounds very simple, but I can tell you the amount of churches and, and different groups I've interacted with over the years, and they're not very hospitable. You walk in, and it feels cold and stiff, and you don't really want to be there. So I want to make sure that we're a church that's known for being hospitable, very just welcoming. Not in a cheesy, gimmicky way, not, not that they can tell you just went to an all-day training the day before, but just a very genuine and authentic welcomingness to those that would come in and join us. Another suggestion, if you see someone new, introduce yourself and offer to take them out for coffee. Now you might be thinking, I don't have the money to take them out for coffee because Portland coffee can be pretty expensive. If you don't have the money, take them out for coffee and I will pay for your coffee. Your sojourn will pay for your coffee. Now don't use that as a license to go every single day and three times and get all this coffee and bring me back a bill for $100. But if it's someone that's new and say, I really want to take them out for coffee, let me know and I'll make sure that you can take them out for coffee. Or maybe it's someone you already know. I know we're small, but some people have come in and then we won't see them and then they'll come in again. But maybe someone you don't really know, you, you recognize them. Take, them. take them out for lunch or have them over to your house for a meal. Get to really know them and know their story because every single person that, that interacts with us, whether it's once again Thursday night or Sunday night or some other time through the week, they matter and they each have a story. God's placed us here for a reason. So I want to make sure that we learn people's stories, we learn their name, and that we give them that place to belong on their, on their way to belief as they, they can join in with, with our family. We see Paul is remembering the church in Ephesus in his prayers. Paul had a consistent and regular prayer life, and we too should have a consistent and regular prayer life. It is possible that Paul is referring to the Jewish custom here of praying three times a day, which would be morning, noon, and evening. So we see for Paul, if, if that's what it is, it's consistent, it's regular, and it's during these occasions. And at other times, he says that I'm remembering you in my prayers. Typically, when we remember someone in our prayers because God is bringing those people, those individuals, or those groups to our hearts and to our minds. So I'm not necessarily suggesting that you have to have three separate prayer times in the day. You might hear that and think, man, I've got to set aside three separate times. But I do think it's good to have a time and a place where you spend unhurried and unhindered time in prayer. A time where God can really speak to you and bring people to your mind on these are the people that I need you to be praying for. So let's always be people in prayer. And let me encourage you and, and myself to do a few things regularly. One of those would be fast and pray. Now I'm doing intermittent fasting, so that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a spiritual fast where you fast with an intentional purpose for prayer. And that's something that I would actually like us collectively do with Sojourn. As, as, if you haven't realized by now, we need a, a move of God, we need a work of God in order to see this church really planted. And so I want us to have some specific times and maybe we'll have some prayer and fasting guides in the future. I failed to get those for tonight to say we're going to take a, 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 this, set aside this time and even do without something, probably food, in order to say, God, we need you. We need you to work in our midst. Another way is pray for people's salvations by name. It's one thing to pray broadly, God, we need you to move in Portland. We need you to save people. 
But then I'm hoping that you're meeting people and that you should have names of people. And if you don't, then, then let's talk and, and figure out how you can meet more people. But you should have names of people and just pray specifically by name for those individuals, for those neighbors, for those coworkers, for those people that, that you're meeting and that God would move and save them. Pray for confession and repentance. Confession with one another with areas of, of sin and struggles that we're dealing with and then at times where we need to repent to one another. Pray for healing for healing from brokenness in our city, but then also for physical healing for, for individuals. If you look at Luke 10, where Jesus sends them out, part of the evangelism strategy was praying for healing. So we believe that God still heals people. Pray for missionaries and church planters. I didn't add that one selfishly for myself, but please pray for, for me as a church planter. I need your prayers more than you realize. And we have others in here that are, that are missionaries. And then think about our, our missionaries overseas. We need to be praying for those people, just as Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians here. Now, let me be transparent with you. Prayer has always been a struggle for me. Now, let me explain. I am wired so that I'm always ready when I wake up just, just to get after the day. I, I get dressed and I'm ready, I'm ready to go. What is the first thing on my to-do list? I have a moleskin calendar book and I've, I usually have four or five things at, at least I need to do there. I'm meeting this person at this time. I need to write these emails. I need to call this person and then I'll receive a text from my dad midday and he wants to talk. And so I'll do that as I'm going about these places and always something else to do for the church or someone else to meet with. And so I, in some ways I always just use that as an excuse. Like I just want to get after it. And so I'm not standing up here as, I, I, as I'm the example, but when, by an do that, I realize, well, my intention is I'll pray later. So it's morning. Let me go ahead and get started before the kids wake up. And then noon comes by and then it's afternoon and I get home and the kids are already home from school. And then by the time I finish, I'm exhausted. And so let me guess, I, I go into the quiet room and get my prayer closet. No, I sit in the recliner and I'll turn Netflix on because I'm just exhausted at that point. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And so I found myself over the years kind of in this, this rut and this cycle. Translation, I've often operated as I know better than God. And I'm just being honest about my own convictions. But my, my, my hunch is I'm not the only one. I sense I'm not the only one in the room who, who has operated that way over the years. 2018, by God's grace, I saw a lot of growth in this area of prayer. As God brought me to the end of myself multiple times, up until the point where one day I just threw my hands up and said, okay, God, I am done. My way is not working because my way says get up and get after it. Pull up your bootstraps and do it. But I believe when I got to that place is when God said, now I can use you. Now I can work because now you're, you're taking a step back and you're resting, which seems counterproductive to our culture to slow down and to rest. Actually rest in Jesus and go, you can rest in your finished work. But to rest and say, okay, God, where are you moving? Are you telling me to go to the left? Are you telling me to go to the right? Are you telling me to go straight? Are you telling me just to sit? Where does you want me to invest you know, my time and the people? Where does you want Sojourn to invest our time? And that's where I really feel like God's saying, now I can use you. Now I can mold you and I can, I can shape you. We must be people of prayer, not because we have to, but because we get to as we join the Spirit of God where He's already working in our city. I think that's one of the great things about prayer is, is, is God's already at work. God is already moving. And so it's, it's us who gets ahead of God and saying, God, where is it you're moving? Where is your Spirit leading us individually, as families, and then as a church family? Where is it you're leading us to invest our time? You know, this is why we, we're forming some partnerships with groups like Embrace Oregon and Portland Rescue Mission and, and Vernon Elementary School and the Concordia Neighborhood and others. But with all those, I always want to be mindful and be careful. God, is this something you're leading us into? Because we can do all those things and they're all, those are all good things to invest in. But God, is this something you're leading us into or is this something that Matt led us into or is this just something that seems good to do? And my desire is to sojourn be a church that is built on prayer. 
This is one reason that we join in with a collective of other churches every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to pray. And if I'm honest, I wish I could call you each and wake you up and say, get your butt out of bed and get to 6 a.m. prayer. I know it's early. I know some of you live far away, but that's just what I wish I could do because the times are so rich. And it's just, there's something special about praying with 50 other Christians from different churches early in the morning to start your day that way. Is there something magic about praying with others? No. But is there something special? Yes. And you can sense the Spirit of God and is encouraging to pray with other believers from all over the city. It's also a great reminder that God, one, is moving and that He's He's moving amongst other churches. You know, thankfully it doesn't all rely on sojourn. If it all relies on sojourn, then we all need to probably end right now, pack up, go out to eat, and then go do something else. So thankfully it doesn't all rely on sojourn. Ultimately it relies on God, but He is using His church, the capital C Church in Portland, and uniting us. Remember, God's uniting all things to Himself, and He's allowed us to be part of that. I've also noticed that on the weeks that I am consistent to start my day with prayer, that God will often bring people to my heart and mind to pray for. Sometimes it's you guys in the room. I'll be praying and just say, God, who is it you want me to pray for? You know, or sometimes it'll be, it'll be a missionary overseas. And what you've probably experienced this before. Whenever God does that, send that person a text. Maybe if it's really early in the morning, don't do that yet. But send them a text at some point in the day. Say, hey, God just put you in my heart and mind. Just praying for you. Don't know if there's anything going on. So many times I've gotten responses back from people who have just been so blessed by the fact that God, in their mind, God remembered me. And God put me on Matt's heart to pray for whatever's happening without even knowing it. It'll bless that person. Guarantee it'll bless them. Look at verse 17 with me. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So he's naming God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is in no way denying Christ's identity. It's affirming His true incarnate humanity. That Jesus was what they call the God-man. And the spirit of wisdom here is the Holy Spirit who is working in the lives of Christians to give them insights into the Word of God and the saving knowledge of Him, which is something we call illumination. So that's what he's praying for. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10-12, it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So Paul is praying for the Ephesians to develop a deeper knowledge of Christ. Not because they don't already have a knowledge of Christ, but because none of us have ever arrived as the enlightened ones. Hopefully we don't ever get to the place where we're walking with the Lord and say, I've got it, I know everything about you, I understand you completely, I understand you fully. Knowing Christ is one of the ways that the New Testament describes a saving faith. One of the greatest needs for our church, really any church for that matter, is knowing Christ better, deeper, and gaining a fuller knowledge of Him. You could summarize the Christian life this way. It is about knowing God and making Him known to all people. So the Christian life is knowing God and making Him known to all people. I feel one of the great tragedies in the American church is people having a knowledge of God without ever actually knowing God. I can know a lot about someone, 
For example, think about your favorite, uh, maybe favorite athlete or your favorite movie star. You can know a lot about them. You can Google or Wikipedia and find all kinds of facts about them. You can know their height, their eye color, their hair color, when they got married, when they were born, how many children they have, all of these things about them. Or if it's an athlete, you know, how many touchdowns they threw and, and how, many, how many yards they got. All those things we can know. But that's not knowing them. That's just knowing a lot about them. And that, the same thing can happen oftentimes in the church is you can know a lot about God. You can get a lot of facts about God, and you can even give the right answers about God. But then it can be void of the actual relationship with God. Knowing Christ goes beyond just knowing facts about Christ, but actually having a saving relationship with Him. I know in seminary, that was one of the great dangers that I was told by many professors. Thankfully, at my school, some schools could care less. But in my school, they said, you know, one of the dangers of seminary, what you're entering, is that you're going to fool your head full of knowledge, but you're going to be void of the heart knowledge. And that same thing can happen when you're, even when you're part of a church. You can, just, you can take notes, you can learn these things without ever actually experiencing God. And I hope that sojourn never becomes a place where people just receive knowledge of God without ever actually encountering God. That's our prayer, that people would come in here and that they would actually know God, they would encounter God through, through the sermon that they're hearing preached, through the worship that we do, through the lives of people that they're interacting with. I don't stand up here for 35 minutes and talk just to hear myself talk. You might think that sometimes, and I know sometimes it goes over 35 minutes, and people remind me of that, usually my wife. But hopefully what we're doing is, is we're looking at the Word of God and, and saying, God, we want a life-encountering experience with you, and we believe that your Word is part of that. And that is how, how we not only get that knowledge of you, but that encountering with you. Charles Spurgeon said it well. I go back to my home many a time, mourning that I cannot preach my master, even as I myself know him. And what I know of him is very little compared with the matchlessness of his grace. Would that I knew him more and that I could tell it out better. J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, says that those who know God have four characteristics. First is great energy for God. Two is great thoughts of God. Three is great boldness for God. Fourth is great contentment in God. That's a good test. And I would ask, is that you? Now, what if your energy for God and thoughts of God have waned? Maybe you found yourself at that place tonight. Or maybe you found yourself there at some, some point in your life. Then remember what we're looking at. This is a prayer. And we're praying that God will continue to give us that energy, the boldness, and the contentment in Him. Continue in verse 18. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? So Paul's request to his readers is that they would know the hope of God's calling. Notice, it does not say the hope of your calling, but rather it says the hope of His calling. Paul's prayer is that these believers will somehow comprehend the blessing that are theirs to have in Christ. The future hope to which God has called them. God's inheritance in the saints. In other words, we are God's riches. So once again, the saints, those in Christ, we are the inheritance. We are the riches of God. Paul piles up power words to express the immeasurable greatness of God's power, His working and His great might towards the believers. It says that there's power over supernatural forces through magic and the occult was a great concern in ancient Ephesus. That there's power over those things. Going back to Las Vegas as I'm walking the street and I'm seeing all kinds of sights and sounds and lights and some of that was fun, but then realizing how steeped it is in sin and realizing there is power over these things. There's power of, over what is happening here. 
In Acts 19.19, it says, And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. But the power of the living God in Christ trumps all competing authorities. Once again, think about our city. We're surrounded by brokenness. And I don't know about you guys, but there's times when I'm walking in our city, especially when I first moved here, I think I was just very sensitive. And I can just, I could sense there's just something weird going on here. And I couldn't explain it until I started talking with other Christians. And then, they, then one day someone pointed out to me that that is spiritual. That is something in the spiritual realm where you can just, you can almost just feel it. What is happening around us? And it's a, once again, it's a very challenging place to live. It's a challenging place to minister. It's a challenging place to be a Christ follower. But what this is telling us is that there's power over the supernatural forces. There's power over those things through Jesus. Paul's third request is for the Ephesians to know the greatness of God's power. So this power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the same power that seated Jesus at God's side. And this is the same power that gave Jesus authority over all things. Continue in verse 20. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So we see Paul's prayer continues in verse 20, but his requests do not as he focuses his attention on the power of God, which Paul uses the description. Here's how he describes God's power. His immeasurable greatness. His, his working energy and His great might. And Paul tells us that God's almighty power, it's also available to us, His saints. So this is God's power, but here, here's the secret, everyone. That power is also our power if you're in Christ. And so although it's difficult to live in this city and you can, you can sense the spiritual battle waging around us, we have that same power and God has given that to us, His followers. So we, we're not in this battle alone. Thankfully, God didn't say, I'm going to send you to battle. And for those of us, he sent us to Portland and said, here, just figure it out. No, God said, I've given you some tools and, and my power is available to you. My power is with you. It's by this power that we're able to engage in the spiritual battle that we're going to see in a few weeks in Ephesians 6. It's this, by this same power that we engage in the spiritual battle that's waging around us on a daily basis. You know, maybe that's one of those things you should pray when you first wake up. Say, God, I need your power today. I know that it's going to be hard when I leave the house. I know it's going to be hard when I close my door and lock up and, and either walk to the coffee shop or drive to the campus or, or drive to my job or ride my bike. But God, I need your power to do it. I need your power in order to get through this day. And it's by this power that, by God's grace, we arrive safely into his heavenly kingdom regardless what this life throws our way. You know, we're not promised this life will be easy. If anything, we're told this life will be difficult, this life will be challenging, this life will be hard. This is why we deal with spiritual warfare. You, know, you meet people sometimes, I and mean, life is just great. So are you not dealing with spiritual warfare? Because if you're not, then I would actually question what's happening, what's going on. We're told that these things will be normal, and that's going to happen all around us. But it's still by the same power that, that eventually we will, we will arrive in God's heavenly kingdom, and we can rest in Him saying, I had your power all along, and your power sustained me and got me through what I was dealing with. And finally, in verse 22 and 23, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul's actually quoting Psalm 8, 6 here as being fulfilled by Christ's exaltation over all creation as the head of the church. 
Christ is the head. God's mighty power in exalting His Son is that all things have been put in subject to Christ. So he's pointing, really what he's doing is pointing to the preeminence of Christ. And so we see how Christ has so identified Himself with His church that it's said to be His very body. Okay, let me say that again in case you missed it. Christ has so identified Himself with the church that is said to be His very body. In Genesis 12, 23, we see Adam described Eve as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, Adam and Eve were one flesh. When you think about the marriage union, and I'm not trying to be gross here, but you think about the marriage union and when a, when a man and a woman come together, that they become one flesh. Right? To me, that, that's a beautiful and, and accurate and biblical picture. The church, filled by Christ, fit, fills all of creation as representatives of Christ. We are the fullness of Christ, and we are representatives of Christ here on earth. This is why the church, among other reasons, should be important to us. Is it not that, that we are part, we are Christ's body. So, so you, right now the church is one of the most um, distrusted organizations, institutions in our country. And I can understand that. There's many valid reasons for that. But I have some friends that said, we just need to throw the church out altogether. It's just me and Jesus. We're just going on the solo. Or, or maybe we, sh- we should do this thing. But we don't really need the, the, the church, the, the, the corporate gathering, the body any longer. And then I, as I read this passage, I was actually texting friends as I was preparing this. I said, guys, I think maybe, maybe you're on this dangerous path because it says that the church the people, not a building, but the people, that we are Christ's body. So how is it that, that you can follow the head but then take away the, the, the body? Jesus identifies himself with us, and Jesus identifies himself as the head over the church. A lot of us know this intellectually, but it seems that many people, even in our culture, they think that the pastor is the head of the church. This is why we hear stories of you know, a pastor falls into sin, or a pastor gets fired over something, or the pastor just leaves, or maybe the pastor dies. I actually went to a church one Sunday to visit in college, and then that week the pastor had a heart attack and died. So we see all these different reasons, but a lot of times what will happen is we'll see a mass exodus of the people. Suddenly it's, the, the, you know, a high percentage of the people are gone because this pastor has left. And I'm sure each of those scenarios, every time this happens, there's, there's, there's things that are grievous, right? There's, there's reasons. They say, man, people are grieving. They're confused. And I get all of that. But I, I think a lot of times we see that happening because the church has been made about that pastor. Now, whether the pastor sought that out, that's a different conversation. But it's been all made about the man, all about the head, all about, all, all about the, 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 the talking person. But it should be about Christ who is ultimately the head. Now, what this should do for me, personally, this should take some pressure off. Because you know what that means? I'm not the head of Sojourn. Thankfully, I'm not the head of Sojourn. Now, God has called me to lead Sojourn. God has called me to start Sojourn, and He's called me to shepherd Sojourn. But ultimately, if things are going to be in the right order, I get to submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, say, you are the head of this church. And I want all of you in the room to keep me accountable if I ever start talking in different terms, that Jesus is our head, and Jesus is over this church. This should encourage us as a church because we are entirely dependent on Him. There's not, not another way around it. We're entirely dependent on Jesus. You know, you've probably heard the phrase, Jesus, build your church. And that is what our prayer is. And we're submitting to the headship of Christ. Say, God, we can't do it on our own. We know Matt can't do it. Just look around the room. We'd be a lot bigger if I could do it. We can't do it collectively. We need Jesus to do it. We need Jesus to build his church. Left our own ways, we're going to screw it up. And you know what? We're probably going to screw it up anyway. But let me tell you something else. God is sovereign over all. 
And since God has called us to do that, and I rest confident in that and believe that, and he's called you to be part of this as well, we can rest that Jesus will build his church. And that includes sojourn. So we can, we can rest in that tonight and go, God, we know that you are working in spite of our failed and flawed attempts. The church is the instrument for world transformation and renewal. Remember, much of this letter is about Christ uniting things in heaven and on earth to himself. And one of Christ's preferred instruments for his renewal on earth is us, his church. That's why we've all been given a task. We've all been given a role. You're going to hear a lot, a, lot, a lot about the Great Commission if you stick around sojourn long enough because we're all called to go and make disciples. And that's, that's part of what God is doing to renew things back to himself. Brian Chapel says this, The church is called to be the church so that by her proclamation of the gospel in word and deed, her people will be prepared to advance his kingdom wherever he calls them to be salt and light in the world. The role of the church in world transformation needs to be emphasized so that all realize how noble is the calling to lead and support her. So let me wrap up for us. Now that we have examined Paul's prayer in these verses as he's reflected on, on the Ephesian Christians, I want to ask us a few things. Do you pray like this? If you are a leader in any capacity, do you pray this way for those that you lead? If you are a parent, do you pray like this for your children? Regardless of your context and your setting, do, you, do your prayers sound anything like Paul's prayer for these Christians? If we're honest with ourselves, most of us don't pray like this. We tend to focus on the immediate things, things like financial help and, and daily guidance or traveling mercies, whatever those are. And I'm not suggesting those are bad things, but we tend to focus on tiny needs when we have access to the God of the universe. We should be asking for big things instead of focus so much on the little tiny things. And I'm not discrediting those. I'm not saying those aren't important, but when we have access to the God of the universe, if we really believe the claims about God that are in the Bible and the things that, that we're known for, we should be asking for some really big things and saying, God, we really want you to move in these ways. And so even for myself, as, as I get convicted looking at these verses, I said, God, going into further into 2019, I need to pray bigger prayers for sojourn. I think my prayers for sojourn have been too small. I've been like, God, please bring us one more couple. Okay, God, answer the prayer. God, bring us another single. Okay, you answer the prayer. God, bring us this. Answer the prayer. And the God's like, pray something bigger. So God is saying, you need to pray bigger prayers. I think collectively we need to pray bigger prayers for, for sojourn, for our city, for apartment life, for PCC, for all these ministries and areas of the city that God has called us to be involved in. And the reason that most of us don't pray these prayers is that we don't grasp the deepness of God's story. And so Paul is praying that the Ephesians will be granted the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Remember last week, look back at those big ideas of being chosen and being adopted and being sealed. Those are things that are really hard to grasp. And so Paul's saying, I'm praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that God would give you the wisdom and revelation to understand these things, that we may know Him better, because ultimately it's all about God. And to know the hope to which God has called us, every single one of us. A.W. Tozer developed a list of 20 attributes of God that place an emphasis on prayer. And so his, his suggestion is basically praying these attributes when you think about God. So I'm just going to list these for us real quick. He gives explanations in his book, but I'm just going to list them for us. He says God is infinite. God is immense. God is good. God is just. God is merciful. God is graceful. God is omnipresent. God is imminent. God is transcendent. God is eternal. God is omnipotent. God is immutable. God is omniscient. God is wise. God is sovereign. God is faithful. God is love. God is holy. God is perfect. 
God is self-existent. And when you think of these attributes that I just listed, suddenly praying for traveling mercies don't seem so relevant. Praying, praying for what we're about to walk out and do just doesn't seem to matter as much. To know God personally, we need to listen to this story of God in Scripture and what God is doing. Right? Think about the narrative of Scripture. It's really one big, what they call meta-narrative. It's really one big story. And this story that we're looking at is the part of God uniting all things to Himself. The story of the revelation of Jesus was also called the Word incarnate. And you know what we're called to do? We're called to share this story. We're called to celebrate this story. As a family, we should embody this story. This should be the story that people hear time and time again as they interact with us. Because what they'll see is, man, these people, really we should be telling the same story all the time. You know, if someone ever criticizes and says, hey, you basically preach the same sermon every week, I'm going to say, praise God, because I should be preaching the same sermon every week. Ultimately, I should be pointing at least to the same, same story every week, even if there's some nuanced differences. In a sojourn, we recognize that actually knowing God is more than just knowing about God. As we learned that last week, it's a gift of God's grace to know Him. So we echo Paul's prayer tonight in this set of verses for ourselves and for others, asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know Him better. So, Sojourn, that is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for each and every one of you and for us together, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give sojourn the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. Pray with me. Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We are a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. If you'd like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, reach out to us by emailing info at sojournpdx.org or check out our website. We look forward to hearing from you soon.